0: Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Matter of Taste. Okay, Chris. So I'm going to read some of these to you, and I want you to tell me if you recognize them. Okay. All right. Tom Collins, mm-hmm. a white lady, yeah. a Clover Club, hmm. an Alexander, yes. French 75, yes. Gimlet. Oh yeah. How about a Singapore Sling? What What are these? What do they have in common? What am I talking about?
1: Well, what is the common theme? Gin. gin, gin. Those are all gin drinks. I guess I think of a Brandy Alexander, and I know that you can make like a French 75. But all those are gin drinks,
0: right? So as I'm looking at this list, I recognize about two of these things. Everything else, I think I would recognize that they're a cocktail, but I would have no idea that there's gin in them.
1: Ah, uh, there's there's one on here that I've never heard of, but I love Monkey Gland. That is a great name for a cocktail. That is a great uh, name. Apparently, for a it's coach. a gin cocktail. I think it's got absinthe in it, something.
0: So, would you ever order a monkey gland from a menu? Uh,
1: I would do it in the Joe DeLuca sense of that first drink that you get is something that you've never tried before because it does sound kind of exotic.
0: And I definitely think that I like Joe's approach to that. that if you're going out to a bar, instead of ordering your typical Miller Lite. Or my typical Captain and Coke (laughs) to try something a little bit different and adventurous, and Joe definitely I think hit hard on that in our discussion with him.
1: Yeah, you know, gin is really understudied at least for me in my liquor cabinet because I don't typically order a gin and tonic or something with gin. It's probably not that I don't like it; I just don't think about it. And as as I think we mentioned. It's not that I do shots entirely, but sometimes what's in the liquor cabinet is stuff that goes, you know, neat. Uh, uh, Tequila. uh, You can do vodka or, you know, some of these things. Whiskey, even. Um, I think it's time to maybe explore gin more. And especially after hearing from Joe, I was I was feeling inspired.
0: Yeah. And one of the things we talk about with Joe is that gin is not one of those shot liquors. Now, he'll tell us a story about his experience with taking gin shots that I don't think any of us want to try after hearing his tale about it. (laughs) Leave that to the Um, experts,
1: warm gin shots even.
0: But I do think that, yeah, gin is not something that I necessarily ever thought would be a go-down-easy type of liquor, like a vodka or a tequila, where you can slam a shot. And I wouldn't say that those necessarily always go down easy. But I think, yeah, I think, you know, in the first, what, uh, six, seven years of my – uh, eligibility to be a legal drinker I'd never really considered gin It always it's very intimidating I think um, and I think that there's probably this notion that it's for a more sophisticated drinker and I always think back to one of my favorite movies is Crazy Stupid Love oh. with Steve Carell, Brian Gosling, Emma Stone and there's this scene where Emma Stone just starts downing um, someone's gin drink and she makes a face and goes oh I hate I hate gin. And I think <laughs> watching that made me go, oh, well, maybe gin is disgusting because, you know, I would never really had tried it. And then I recently tried it and was like, oh, this is actually, you know, I actually really like this. And this, the types of drinks and mixers that accompany gin are my taste. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, uh, here to clear away the confusion around gin is our friend of the podcast, Joe DeLuca. And we sat down with him at the Ritz-Carlton and had a really good chat. Here's that talk with Joe. We are sitting right now in the fabulous Ritz-Carlton bar with Joseph DeLuca, who is a friend of the podcast. We talked to him before about vodka, and we did another episode about uh, rosé rose all day. Stephanie, you were not with me for that uh, fun conversation, so this is your first chance to get to meet
0: Joe. So I'm really excited. I'm not by any means a... Um, I don't know a whole lot about cocktails. I know that I like to drink them. Um, but in terms of the art or the craft, I know very little. So I'm excited to learn some things today.
1: And uh, we're going to just jump in on gin. This is a another theme episode where... Um, we can go in a lot of directions on what you can make oh, cocktail wise with these drinks, but the history of the drink itself, um, I, I just, Joe, I know you've got a story about the history of the drink. And the only oh. one that I can think of right now is uh, gin and tonics were. Derived because they had to put quinine in the water to keep mosquitoes out of the I don't know, Suez Canal or something like that. My my off base on that? No, no, you're, okay. you're
2: right. extraordinarily close <laughs> as uh, you know, as the the British. You really give us the gin that uh, we're mostly familiar with today. Um, as the sun never set on the uh, on the Empire. At one time, we had uh, they had a lot of agents uh, in tropical climes and. Uh, we found out the quinine from the cinchona bark uh, will reduce the fever and help stave off malaria. Um, and because you're so far from home and you're miserable, um, you need a little gin to get through the day. So the gin and tonic is born. Uh, tonic, being it was it was a tonic medicine by using uh, quinine to help alleviate. Uh, Alleviate the symptoms of malaria, and then you add a lime. Take care of your scurvy problem with a little bit of vitamin C, and, and the gin and tonic Thank is born. You. To your health. To your <laughs> health. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it goes back really far with uh, why why the why Great Britain is so tied to um, this extraordinarily versatile spirit. Uh, they, they first see juniper flavored spirits as they're hiring the Dutch to help fight the French. So, in the late 1600s. Uh, France and England are, are constantly uh, poking each other in the eye and they noticed that the Dutch mercenaries they hire before they go in the battle would pull a little flask out of their belt and drink it and, and rush into battle. Um, they called it Dutch courage. It's uh, where we get this where we get the term Dutch courage um, and so of course, being a good Brit, hey, can I have a little of that, buddy? And what they were drinking was a, a, a spirit category called Genever, which is related to gin but is is different. Has this very malty flavor, almost like a Scotch, with just straight juniper in it. No other botanicals to rounds it out. And we still see it produced today uh, in in Holland, uh, the Netherlands, um, and we call it Genever. Um, through time, as the English learn how to produce this, they start adding other botanicals to kind of round out the spirit, um, make uh, the juniper more interesting, things like chamomile and angelica and coriander, uh, which you'll find, black licorice, all these different other aromatics that we put into gin. Um, They liked it so much that they deregulated the production of it um, in the beginning of the 1700s. Uh, This again was to poke a finger in the French eye because what was the number one spirit in England? Well, it was cognac out of France. So they figured, hey, let's deregulate gin. And so everybody starts making gin and everybody starts drinking gin. And we have what was referred to now as the gin craze of London, where three out of four households were somehow involved in the trade of gin. And it became extraordinarily inexpensive. It was cheaper to give your child gin uh, Than oatmeal for breakfast before you send them off to uh, the wool works for a 12 hour workday.
1: This um, is the 1700s? 1700s okay. early. This is
2: pre revolutionary. Okay. Okay. Um, this becomes a national problem and they try to pass laws because everybody is drunk all the time. Uh, the distillate wasn't really good either and so from Geneva we have this new product out of England called Old Tom Gin and it usually was indicated by a black cat and what it was was sweetened gin. You had some sugar to it because it makes the medicine go down. The distillate wasn't really pure. It was so bad that you could walk down an alleyway anywhere in London if you saw a black cat placard hanging on a, a wall. Uh, women and children were allowed in bars but they could walk up to that placard, put their little half shilling into it and out of the cat's mouth was a hose and they could... Bend down, and the bartender inside would pour the gin from the inside of the bar out to the outside of the bar where you waited with mouth open to get your little snort
1: of gin. I've never heard of such a thing. That is
2: bananas. (laughs) Yeah, they they had 50 years of just sheer uh, drunkenness um, from so much gin being produced in London, very low-quality gin, and the poor. Uh, especially as the industrial revolution is about to kick off in England,
1: this is pre pre um, and pre rum trade happening. For uh, we're well into the rum. Years. Yeah, we're
2: probably in, well into the rum trade because we've had uh, we we've established our our sugar cane facilities uh, to make white sugar on the islands, and that byproduct was molasses. Uh, that is what causes rum to become this huge. Uh, trade stock Uh, so this is concurrently happening with it we see rum production or rum consumption going up in England at this time as well
1: these folks are drinking this uh, gin straight safe to say
2: Um, this is uh, yes straight uh, and probably in punches Um, so punches would have been uh, a precursor to the mixed drink in America but punches were very popular ways to imbibe in England during this time um, and gin would have been one of those spirits That you would often find in a punch Gin is not anything I think people doing shots
1: of And I know shots is a I don't know It's the way people consume alcohol in bars these days But it's always going to be vodka shots, rum shots, tequila shots I've never seen a
2: shot round of gin being bought But maybe not uh, in not the my bars well, I don't know Yeah, This is an appropriate place to tell my gin shot story <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, Yes, I ruined gin night many years ago Uh, by doing warm gin shots as one of our rounds. Not a good idea, but... You had a gin uh, night. Gin night. I I ran with some uh, bartenders in college who about once a quarter, they'd go out for gin night, and all you could order was gin drinks, and we would bar crawl. And when my round came up, I was like, warm gin shots for one and all. Um, (laughs) It was... uh, And that was pretty much what we refer to as the end of gin night (laughs) in college. Um, You know, gin is gin is tough it's juniper forward if you don't you know juniper is an ever is a member of the evergreen family so it has this very pine tree christmas time forward flavor uh, the trick with juniper though is, is that juniper works with just about anything if you ask a, a master chef uh, one of those about versatile spices juniper is going to be in his top three um, and so, in the hands of a great bartender, gin can really sing in mixed drinks. I think most people are afraid of it because their first experience with gin was a very inexpensive gin, which um, gin is one of those things you, you can't save money on. You gotta spend a little bit, you don't have to get crazy expensive. Um, but you certainly want something the London Dry, which uh, ensures quality. Um, And then it's the way that it melds with other flavors, and that bartender should be able to do it. The other thing is, you know, people start with cheap gin and probably bad tonic water as well. Maybe you just don't like tonic. Maybe it's not the gin. You know, gin and tonic is your first experience. Uh, I encourage, you know, anyone who is interested in it and and wants to get over their 21-year-old self uh, and their fear of gin, uh, find a great bartender here in Cleveland um, who who can— Really put together a cocktail that that shows what gin can be.
0: Okay, so let's do that because I just recently learned that I do like gin. I was <laughs> in Atlanta and just ordered something off a cocktail menu and was like, oh, I actually pretty much like this. Um, so as a newbie to gin, what would you recommend? How I mean, I've heard you know Snoop Dogg's gin and juice. but How would <laughs> you? How would you? <laughs>
2: You know what? And, and it's funny. I, I think gin. I mean, I think gin and grapefruit really sing together, and um, it is a great flavor components together. I, I think a great cocktail to try right out of the gate would be a Singapore Sling. You, know, you, you think Singapore Sling? You may have had one. You may have not. It's kind of this faux tiki drink in a way, but it's a gin-based drink. Uh, but it comes together with sweet, sour, and bitters, and that juniper to help. Um, really structure the cocktail that makes a Singapore Sling truly a, a beautiful drink you know I, I traditionally we find you know a lot of tiki in um, Asian restaurants uh, where where it has held on for decades but i was i would suggest going more to one of your craft bars in cleveland asking for a singapore sling where it's all nine ingredients are put together with care and no artificial sweet and sours are used it's a fantastic stiff beautiful drink uh, that features gin
1: recently i was in um, scotland and I've heard people talking about, you know, I think of scotch, of course. That's a what? whole separate subject. But gin was, a, you know, going to be very popular there. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess maybe I should try it. And we went to get a dinner somewhere. And they had a fantastic gin menu with elaborate tonics that you could get with it. And so I ordered this. I, I, I mean, I never even thought that you could do this much with a drink. And it came with berries and sticks. And, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was a whole different it thing. It is. How did they elevate it to an art form? And what I feel like, I just haven't run across it here.
2: We, well, uh, it's, Scotland ties the gin very well. As part of it being Great Britain, Scotland is also where we find some of the very first column stills. So we move from our tea kettle pot still into a column still, which we can rectify alcohol much higher and make it more neutral. Uh, That's an important step, and we we see those first stills really in Scotland because they're invented by a Scotsman and an Irishman kind of at the same time. One of them patents it, and we start rectifying very neutral spirit that when we add our juniper and our coriander and everything back, it is elevated above the grain flavor. This is how, this is how we come up with London Dry Gin, which is a story. You know, Charles Tanqueray, 1830s, 17 years old, buys one of these stills and starts really sets the bar for what gin and coming out of England is going to look like. Other countries soon really latched onto. And if, if you think Scotland has a gin and tonic culture, you should go to Spain because Spain really is, is um, where. What, what we see in other bar, other countries and other bars that are pulling these really exotic gin and tonics together. It really started in Spain where exactly you're going to get seeds and flower petals and different tonics uh, and, and, and different gins. And, and we're awash in, in beautiful craft tonics all around the world right now where 15 years ago this wouldn't have been possible. So it's interesting to hear that you're seeing that in Scotland because we see you know components of Tangeray come out of Scotland. Um, because of where the neutral grain spirit is actually made. Um, You have great gins being made, uh, especially on Isla, a product called Botanists, where they're using, uh, besides juniper, all the other components of it are actually found on the island of Isla uh, to create this gin. Uh, So we're starting to see site-specific, region-specific, secondary aromatics uh, go into gins, which I, I find really exciting as well.
1: So when shopping for gin, uh, besides looking for the uh, gank of tank, I think is how it was referred to <laughs> in
2: the,
1: uh, the Tankeray comes to mind, and Bombay Sapphire, I think. Right. Um, those are mass mass produced and maybe come to people's minds. Are there any smaller distilleries there? I know actually uh, the local distillery they were making some gin that I stopped by
2: um, uh, a couple oh, weeks ago. Oh, over in Lakewood. Yeah, yeah, no, they, no, that, uh, Western Reserve. Some right? there. Yeah. yeah. Are
1: there? Are there? I mean, um, you gave me some advice a long time ago that I thought was really good bend your knees a little bit when you're when you're shopping for a drink it's okay because it's the shelf space is you know laid out specifically and you can drop I think on vodka you said you can drop a little bit yeah
2: you can drop pretty far on vodka and bourbon I suggest you drop a little far as well because of the way the laws read and it's kind of an even playing field um gin don't bend your knees quite as much uh, anything in plastic is probably not going to be <laughs> real fun tomorrow. Um, okay. which, the key word I'm looking for when purchasing gin is London Dry. And what that specifically means is, is that the botanicals that flavor our spirit are directly in the stove. We're not adding oils or flavorings to neutral spirits afterwards. You buy something, uh, a compound gin, which is basically a mixture of of neutral grain spirits and flavoring compounds to create a gin flavor. If you set that out on your table for about two hours, nearly all of the aroma and all the taste will blow off and evaporate within hours. Hmm. Um, A London dry gin, because it's truly infused through the distillation process, it comes through. It's why Sapphire was was very different, because instead of throwing it in the still... What they did is had the steam from the still pass through a basket that had those botanicals in it, and so it kind of lowered the volume of uh, of the botanicals themselves, and it made it a little bit more appealing to the flavored vodka crowd, which is what Sapphire was going after. Mm-hmm. Was let's okay. lower the volume. And that that moves into. we call new western style gins most which are done in the London dry style these are things I think Hendrix would be a really good example of that product of Scotland yeah Um, and what they've done is lower the volume on juniper on purpose and raise the volume on other ingredients like rose and make it floral and come through Uh, aviation gin was really the first to do this here in the United States they had a very floral forward uh, I believe it's a lavender forward or it's lavender um, and so we're seeing more floral and fruit forward notes than juniper and we designate those as new western um, though they're still done in the London dry style and London dry can be made anywhere in the world it's not to be made in England um, so again we're a wash in gin even though it only makes about 3% of what we consume here in Ohio it's a pretty small category and it peaks and valleys um, as people's interests in cocktails waxes and wanes
0: so what are people drinking in Ohio, then, if it's not a lot of gin?
2: Um, we're still drinking a lot of vodka, but, but bourbon is really double-digit growth for eight years plus now. Um, you know, from a, and not from a small base either. Um, that's really what we're drinking. You know, the same people who were drinking chocolate martinis six years ago are now our newest bourbon experts. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, we saw the same thing in wine happen with Sideways, where yes. we pulled every asparagus patch out of the Central Valley to plant Pinot Noir, because uh, suddenly we had something new to latch on. We saw Merlot 30 years before that. Um, the good thing is the bourbon law makes it so that we can't really go backwards too far, because it does have to be made in a very set way. Uh, you know, gin does... I certainly make more gin drinks today I make a lot of gin martinis More than I was 20 years ago Where it was all vodka martinis Uh, The Negroni yeah. Uh, uh, the Negroni really has changed where we've, we couldn't get people to drink Campari five years ago. It was too bitter, man. You had to drink it five times before you thought you liked it. And now we're mixing gin and Campari and Oh Lord, sweet vermouth. I mean, three things that you know, certainly did not go into our chocolate martinis, um, in the 1990s. So I see that drink out front there a lot. Uh, we also see a lot of bartenders riffing on that drink and making it their own, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, Gin and tonic still reigns supreme. Uh, It's how I judge a gin. Can I make a 50 50 martini, which is half dry vermouth, half gin, um, with it and it shows correctly? And can I make a gin and tonic with it? Those two drinks, if I can make those and find that that it works with it, I know it's going to work in every other cocktail. Now, I I do come across gins, especially smaller brands, um, including local brands, where sometimes it doesn't make a great gin and tonic to me or it doesn't make a great. Martini, but it still makes other fantastic drinks. There's a brand out of Columbus So it, I mean, it makes f- the most beautiful Bloody Mary I've ever had. It's my go-to spirit for, for Bloody Marys. Uh, I think Watershed, uh, their barrel-aged four-peeled gin, does really, really well uh, in a Bloody Mary. But it's not what I, it's not what I would pick first to have a Martini or a gin and tonic with. Wow.
1: Okay. Um, uh, prohibition. Mm-hmm. I think of uh, moonshine, moonshine stills, but I also think of bathtub gin. Bathtub gin. What's the origin of the term?
2: And why do people go blind? Um, oh, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's, there's, there's a lot of snakes in that nest right there. <laughs> um, first off, if we look at, is, is juniper such a powerful flavoring agent? And you could buy juniper oil from Sears and Roebuck, which during Prohibition became their number one selling product. And that is a fact. <laughs> so what oh, wow. we were doing is buying, um, what bathtub gin was, we were buying probably very rough spirits from Moonshiners. And because that spirit was rough and didn't taste very good, we could add juniper oil to it, and voila, we have something we don't taste the bad wood alcohols that will make you go blind, mm-hmm. um, or, uh, or the fusel oils, which will make you uh, wish you were dead but won't actually kill you. Uh, juniper would cover these up. And then to cover up all that juniper and that bad spirit, we would create cocktails with lots of citrus and lots of sugar where we have these prohibition cocktails, which are kind of clunky and not well balanced to modern consumers because they were literally being made to cover up the taste of horrible spirits. Uh, It wasn't the nuance of what mixology looked like pre-Prohibition where we had access to great spirits and and mixology was elevated like it is today. Uh, Really, Prohibition was more about poking the man in the eye and and, and having some fun no matter what the law said. Uh, You gotta remember, the United States government was actively Poisoning alcohol to discourage use, and hundreds of people died during prohibition drinking denatured alcohol that they had no idea there were being certain speakeasies. Um, I, I saw an article in my notes just in the last couple of days of a prominent Cleveland businessman who died in Manhattan, uh, poisoned. Uh, by government alcohol that was stamped with the U.S. government because it had been denatured, but it said nowhere on the on the container that was denatured alcohol. Um, it's it's you know it's one of those things like Tuskegee Airmen and things things have come to light recently. Like our government really did this to discourage drinking. Wow, uh, and to enforce the Volstead Act. Wow, <laughs> uh, it's much better today. Yeah.
1: <laughs> 21st century. Just
2: don't, don't drink too much and don't drink bad gin. That, that's, that's my suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> and find a great bartender. You know, we, we shouldn't be searching for great bars. We should be searching for, for great bar men and women uh, who truly, and again, it's not always about the drink, it really is about the people and the service. Uh, so that's what I look for when I'm out, you know, having my favorite mixed drink is uh, who, who's the smiling face do I want to cross the bar from me?
1: Another great uh, point that you had is uh, that first drink you have when you get in somewhere for the night.
2: Have something you haven't had before. Experiment.
1: You can always go back to Pabst. Or whatever, Absolutely. Yeah. Whatever bubble you bubble think. gum
2: vodka. Yeah. I mean, if that's your thing, man, listen, life's too short not to drink what you like. But to really explore and to expand your palate, it's what I tell young bartenders uh, and consumers, the same thing. Get out the first drink of the night, something you've never had, new grape varietal, a new beer, a new beer style, a new cocktail, or dive into gin you know I don't suggest you start with warm gin shots okay yes <laughs> duly noted yes and, uh, don't even end there actually
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just take it off the menu so and you said Singapore sling that's a great idea and yeah. then people I figure most have had at some point a gin and tonic but what's another Give uh, one other suggestion on a gin cocktail
2: uh, uh, you know I, I still think the gin martini is an extraordinarily elegant drink um Find a bartender who's willing to pr- play with proportions with you. We, we tend to parrot back things we hear. Um, we don't want to be embarrassed in front of our friends about something we may not understand. And So I want a gin martini shaken, not stirred, extra, extra dry um, with olives. Um, there's a lot of different ways to skin old Tom the cat, actually. Uh, <laughs> there, it, it really, um, I, I think the drink is more elegant when we use uh, about two to one ratio. Um, Two parts gin, one part vermouth. Don't be afraid of vermouth. Vermouth is very pretty wine. Um, Yes, it has a little bit of a bitter edge to it, but it's meant to. Um, That bitter helps keep away cloying sweetness uh, in many ways. But in the the gin martini, I like that two to one ratio. Um, Early, early versions, 1890s, we see it have a couple dashes of orange bitters usually. Um, currently, uh, the one I've been riffing on most recently is uh, Lillet Rose, which is an aromatic wine similar to vermouth. Using that as my vermouth, doing a 50-50 uh, equal parts, kind of lower the alcohol content of the drink. Orange bitters and a little bit of orange flower water. Stirred, um, so I'm not adding too much water to it because uh, you've already cut the alcohol content down. And then served with a nice lemon twist. Um, that drink... Uh, it's just how I currently happen to be making it. I, I, you know, it changes. Every couple of years, I'll start drifting in my flavor profiles. Um, but I, I think the martini, again, in the hands of a, of, a, of a great bartender, they'll they'll be able to point you the right direction. Don't make them cry and ask for it to be shaken. Try it stirred first. They can always throw it back in the shaker if you need it colder with more water and shake it for you. But it needs to have that alcohol content to kind of let the botanicals kind of shine through on it. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, it is, it is an alcohol-forward drink, and it does get warm quickly. So you do have to kind of um, quaff it a little fast. It's not a drink you want to let get too warm, or you're, you're not going to like it very much.
1: Well, I think if folks want to find that friendly bartender in a nice location, they can find you here. When can they find you at the Ritz?
2: Oh, um, I like to say all the time because that's what it feels like. But uh, <laughs> no, um, oh, there, there's five of us here. Um, I'm, I'm here five days a week, and the schedule changes week to week. Uh, but we have we have a fantastic team up here. So if you don't find me behind the bar, you're going to find the lovely Elsie and Lauren, or you're going to find Vince and Sam, uh, and, and all of them are extraordinarily capable bartenders who'd love to make you a gin drink here.
1: Turn well, Joe Deluca. Thank you once again for sitting and talking with us, and uh, to your health.
2: Cheers. Yeah.
0: So that was our conversation with Joe DeLuca over at Turn Bar and Kitchen, over at the Ritz-Carlton Downtown Cleveland. Okay, Chris. So now that we've learned a lot about gin and heard some very entertaining stories about it, would you go to the store and buy a bottle of gin? I mean, there's all these different there's different types, brands: a London Dry, a Plymouth, an Old Tom. How do you know what to get?
1: Well, I think I definitely would want to talk more, like look more closely at the bottles. There are a couple of labels that like Hendrix comes to mind. Of course, um, Bombay, Sapphire, like some things seem a little familiar. But to stock a a bar seems to be something that is very adult rather than – Hey, man, I got a bottle of tequila. Come over and we'll finish it tonight. If not, not that I would ever do that, but let's just say that, you know, the idea of having more than one bottle for a long stretch of time for when friends come over is a fairly adult notion. And so to to know what to put in that cabinet is uh, is something that Joe makes me, you know, he inspires me to kind of do this. So I think I'm, I might go and have a conversation, a little bit deeper conversation with uh, somebody at a liquor store, about what gin to get. And I think I mentioned while we were talking to Joe that uh, I was knocked out in Scotland by how deeply they enjoy gin. And that was also very, very inspiring to, to try those different kind of things. How about you?
0: Well, I definitely don't really have a stocked bar at my apartment. My boyfriend usually keeps a selection of beers in the fridge, usually a Miller Lite type of beer. Ah. And then we usually have a bottle of Tito's. Um, maybe some some tequila, things of that nature. So we definitely don't have a very sophisticated stocked bar. But I do think it's interesting, especially now that I'm learning that I like gin. Um, I would like to try a couple different, you know, see what fits my taste. and like I said, having a stocked bar and creating your own cocktails at home is almost like baking. You just need to kind of experiment. Um, and have some fun with it. And so I'm excited to maybe try that.
1: I do want to take uh, him up on his his suggestion of how to get a, what was the word, bespoke gift, I think he said, about um, getting someone not just maybe a bottle of liquor but a couple limes and some ingredients to go with a specially crafted recipe. I think that's kind of a fun idea for a holiday gift.
0: I think that's a great idea. I think it's definitely, it's very thoughtful and it's definitely something personalized And who knows, you might introduce someone to their new favorite cocktail. Yeah, indeed.
1: Well, uh, do you have a favorite gin cocktail? I would love to hear about it. Uh, Send me a note on Twitter or Instagram, at Can of Spaghetti.
0: And if you have any brands or any types of gin that you think that we should try, you can hit me up at 7th Inning Steph on Twitter.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Matter of Taste Cleveland. We'll catch you next week.